0: Hello, and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Santiago, and this week we have another very special episode celebrating the release of Deep Overstock, issue 11 Animals. Welcome to episode 6, Quadrupedal Mammals Which Are Not Cats, featuring some doggone good work by Yuan Cheng Ming, Jonathan Van Bell, Lynette. Espacito, Michael Goldstein, Desiree Ducharme, and Arnold B. Cab Driver. We'll open with the poem Gong Shi Fa Chai by Yuan Chengming. Yuan edits poetry Pacific with the Alan Yuan in Vancouver. Yuan's credits include pushcart nominations, poetry awards, as well as publications in Best of the Best Canadian Poetry from 2008 to 2017, and Best New Poems Online, among others. Here's Gong Xi Fa Chai, written by Yuang Chengming and read by Azealia McKetty.
1: Gong Xi Fa Sai, an idiomatic Chinese calendar. Rats abandon a sinking ship. Cows have no business in horseplay. Tigers die and leave their skins. If you chase two rabbits, you will not catch either one. Noble dragons don't have friends. Snakes follow the way of serpents. A horse may stumble, though he has four legs. A goat, owned by two people, sleeps outside. The higher a monkey climbs, the more he shows his behind. Rooster today, feather duster tomorrow. Dogs that bark much don't bite. A pig's tail will never make a good arrow.
0: Next is the poem Bone by Michael Goldstein. As a recent high school graduate and student in Harvard University's class of 2025, Michael has committed to working on writing throughout their gap year. Michael is most proud of works of literary research, notably their paper about Holocaust art titled How We Silenced Voices of the Holocaust, Jewish Women in Art and Female Representation in Holocaust Memorials. Now, Here's Bone, written by Michael Goldstein, and read by Azealia Maggetti.
1: The Bone, by Michael Goldstein. There is no greater image of desperation than the dog that runs back for the bone for the twentieth time on a lonely afternoon. It returns home to its master, lays down at his feet, sets down the emblem of his dedication, and the master laughs accepts his gift half-heartedly, sheds enough love to last until the next round, and then sends the dog back to fetch. I don't think I'm the dog. I think I'm the bone, tossed around and used, but still thinking it's nice to be needed. Dropped at your feet, me and you, for what it's worth, take me in with one arm, warm me to the touch, then throw me back into cold air. The sky watches in anticipation, the dog hardly notices, and you, for what it's worth, don't notice either.
0: Now, meow by Jonathan Van Bell. Van Bell is an author and philosopher who lives in Milwaukee, Oregon, with his wife and sunlight, Zuriel Van Bell, as well as their miniature Schnauzer, Nish, and tuxedo cat, Gigi. He's the author of three books: The Saint Stylite Trivialist Primer, 2015. The Adelaster Bay Book of Hours, 2016, and The Charter Party Companions of Private Holidays, 2017. His forthcoming book, Zenithism, is due out on February 21st. Now, here's Meow! by Jonathan Van Bell, read by the author.
2: Meow! by Jonathan Van Bell. Fox Paolo and Fox Francesca side winding up the coop, tossing their sashes in the grass under woody smooth breeze-blowing dusk, full moon of heavy-feeding jammy scoops, lop-eared hiccups and chicken lipstick of chicky juice. We William Tell overture off with a coiled rattlesnake shot I you hunt the cockless and quail and Puritans and fox martyrs, Our fangs splash a fizzy dizzy demisec, up and down, Our puffing like one long drowning, and our horses huffing, hissing, kiffing foxes off waltzing fiddling gobbling sponge cake frosted dove duck breast i love i love the quacking pillows muskets mounted soldiers fevers heels varnish oomph diamond makers divers kicking the waves seismic springs cherry-wreathed fawns from wet tree limbs chirrup pollen please in every climate tears of rose-stuffed swans pinatas of chocolate-covered bluebird hearts I you meowing guzzled as the titmouse does a wiggly wasp in duet of bodies mixed up and off Ave landica gratia plena the hounds are hot I, you, Rossini, Mozart, Offenbach, In rabbit fur fragranced In reindeer antlers bucking, hamming Belly dancing from Acapulco to Woolamaloo On teacup tippy-toes meowing Below a naked man nailed to the mistletoe, dripping drum and galloping gulp and ultraviolet mouth, peckish come to bite as a blush, as a burning church into our plum roost on us, rebellious bird, clawing hawk twitchy twirler, siren let the sourpusses see us sinning, bury our merlot, sparrow spasms in bubbly bathoms, with honey thyrsus, whip off the monkish, faster, a taut, blasty quake, and a Way, the drainer, violator, diminisher, criticaster, howl and meow to joy my rose hip and Aki Lois.
0: Now two poems by Lynette Espasito, Early Evening and Leaving the Slaughterhouse. Esposito has been an adjunct professor at Rowan University, Burlington County, and Camden County Colleges. She has taught creative writing and conducted workshops in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. She lives with her husband, Atilio, in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Now, here's Early Evening by Lynette G. Esposito, read by the author.
3: Early Evening. Sun contemplates the language of landscape at twilight as a thread of light encircles the horizon. The calm orb slides down its nightly path, pulls the silken imaginary curtain over imaginary time while fox babies feast beside their sleeping mother.
0: And once again, here's Lynette G. Espacito reading Leaving the Slaughterhouse.
3: Hello. This is Lynette Esposito from Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I'm going to read a poem called Leaving the Slaughterhouse. I'm always interested in what people do with their winnings. And so I wrote this poem, Leaving the Slaughterhouse. I was riding a blind horse down the center of town. Horns honked, women screamed, men hee-hawed, mouths wide open. All I could see is calamity. The horse saw nothing, followed the guidance of my gentle nudge of the reins on his neck, showing him his way home after cashing in the winning lottery ticket.
0: Next is the piece Rescue by Desiree De Descharmes. Descharmes is a writer, her semi-voluntarily health-adjacent sabbatical has ended. She has returned to full-time employment at Powell's City of Books in a dragon-adjacent capacity. So fix your mask and step back. Read more words at our website, DesireeDeSharm.com. Now here's Rescue by Desiree DeSharm.
4: Rescue by Desiree Dicharm. Kenya made space in my heart for love. Before her, there was only me and vague words. We think about hearts being a specific size or shape. In fact, they are intentionally flexible by design. They have a purpose. They hold space within us. We condition them to extend our lives. If you've loved unconditionally, you understand why this organ is kept in a vulnerable bone cage in our core. The brain is locked down. The skull is solid with holes for your senses, the organized filters through which our mind processes the data of life. It is a shield to keep things away from the delicate tissue of the brain. The smallest bump or bruise to our gray matter can be fatal. The heart is built for living. We are constantly trying to push it beyond its limits. Its shield is open in places, intentionally reckless and challenging. There are holes and chambers for rushing into and out of. The heart intends to beat and be beaten. It rattles and rails against its enclosure. It pulls and pushes the essence of us. It provides the tides for the oceans within. Before Kenya... There was no tide within me. She was the missing moon. I never wanted a dog. T did. It was on the list, right after move in together, and just before get married. So he went and got a puppy. He gifted it to me so we could share the experience. The only living things you should gift are plants and yeast. Life cannot be given. It can be lived, it can be shared, it can be ended. Life belongs to those who live. You cannot gift it. Sativa, the gift dog, was part of T's life plan. Like all living things, the dog didn't follow the plan. It was busy being a puppy. The gift chewed his favorite shoes, his wallet, the couch, the book titled Don't Shoot the Dog. T considered the gift dog as mine, so I was to blame. I was not consistent with the training. Sativa ate the book before I could read it. You can't control the lives or actions of others, even if you love them. Sativa was his own being. I respected his boundaries and put my shoes in important things where he couldn't reach them. Kenya did the same. She held him accountable for his behavior when she witnessed it. She encouraged delinquency when needed. We gave each other space. This worked for us. My, I'm leaving, thanks for the life experience, note, was in the Birkenstocks I'd given T for his birthday. After Sativa chewed his favorite, after Sativa chewed his pear to unrecognizable pieces in March, he almost took him to the pound. This life he'd gifted to me was disposable. Ironic when you consider I was only allowed three squares of teepee. For the environment! Tea was big on keeping score. For the environment! He weaponized gift-giving by adding an experience to every gift. T's gift for my 22nd birthday was a trip to his college friend's wedding. T's gift for my 22nd birthday was a trip to his college friend's wedding. I was gifted the experience of being quiet and looking pretty in Texas. On T's birthday, I had to work, but when I got home, I woke him up and gave him the shoes. The guilt that flashed in his eyes told me he'd already been sleeping with whoever she was. We experienced irreconcilable differences after that. It was leaving Kenya that broke me. She was not on any list, but once I knew her, I loved her. My heart was flooded with her. I didn't know what to do with that, but I could not stay, and I could not take her. She would be fine without me. I would not. I've made it work with tea for two more years. Kenya chose me, all of me, from my cold toes to morning breath to three-day-old still-wet hair she never shied away. She was always a yes to adventure or staying in. Kenya never told me to smile and was always game for a good cry or howling. She preferred howling outside and never missed an opportunity to indulge in her primal, canid urges. She never missed an opportunity to run. I'm a terrible runner, so I gave her space to run. She always came back when I called, in her own time. We spent hours howling at each other in the forests and across the deserts of the southwest, almost as many hours as we spent gently humming to each other or singing along with the radio. Kenya learned to sing from the whales off the California coast. She was a terrible swimmer, so she sang whale songs. I always came back to shore, in my own time. She made sacrifices to stay with me as well. Sativa ran off the spring. T and I finally called it quits. Kenya went into witness protection. I hid her from him. I did it for me. I did it for the stretch marks on my heart. In the fall, Kenya and I started over and were together as much as possible. Sometimes life's a bitch, and sometimes bitches need to reclaim their lives. Kenya had been abandoned on a beach near Del Mar. She had a name tag and hungry eyes. She came into my life like the evening tide, slowly and inevitably. She shaped my heart. I was in the the waves with tea. I didn't realize it was time to leave until all of our stuff was wet. I wasn't mad. You can't be mad at the tide any more than you can hold a grudge with the sun for setting. The tide was in, your stuff is wet, The sun has set. This is Kenya. Life is forever better. You don't think about the tide receding. You don't consider the tide may never come in again. You just become accustomed to the musty smell of wet dog and the sound of contented sighs from the foot of your bed. You cannot plan a rescue,
0: but if you're lucky,
4: you find you are a part of one.
0: Closing this episode is the We Hate Animals Club by Arnold B. Cabdriver, a Long Beach, Washington, not California native. Cabdriver takes inspiration from the wildlife around him. Now, here's the We Hate Animals Club, written by Arnold B. Cabdriver and read by Robert Eversman. The We
4: Hate Animals Club. Sundays we take Mikey to the zoo to fuck with the monkeys. We dress him like a monkey and lean him on the glass. You'll never be as smart as me, says Mikey. No matter what you think, you'll never think like I think, he says. The baboon sits on a high branch. Cocksucker, says Mikey. The baboon does not look at Mikey, but into its own puffy hands. Mikey turns back to us. I bet his face... I bet his face got jacked up and he's afraid to show it, he says. He bangs on the glass and calls the monkey a shit-eater and a coward. Mikey stands on the handrail and leans his face against the glass. You've got nothing to look forward to, he says. Look at me. He bangs on the glass. The fat man speaks to us like we're his children. You are monsters, he says. Mikey is about to rip the man's cock off. We take him to the hippos. Mikey doesn't give a shit about the hippos. For me, I do not mind the monkeys. They lick their own fingers, which are covered in shit. What's more, there's no reason for the prairie dog. It digs in dirt and infests holes with babies. I will show you. Here, I have with me a taped sandwich bag which I have filled with cayenne pepper. Watch me as I take it and stand on Mikey's back and dirty the monkey with my feet. The prairie dog enclosure is plexiglass. It is about six by six feet, full of dirt. There is a tiny family of prairie dogs standing very straight and leaning a little to one side. I untape the bag and dump the red contents inside. I cayenne the prairie dogs. At first, they are curious. They come with their paws and their mouths and their eyes. But when it touches their skin... Immediately, they curl like bugs and try to scratch off their own faces. They dig through the dirt until they're stopped by the glass. C'est la vie. Que sera, sera. Three idiot Boy Scouts in blue shorts and yellow scars are holding a spider next to a zookeeper in an expired green shirt and a big khaki hat. Three boys touching their fingertips and throwing a spider. They all look into it and say, wow. It's just there so they can touch each other. They are a bunch of hiccuping butt ticklers. The zookeeper starts some bullshit about spiders. One of the Boy Scouts, with a bracelet and a scout like a deformity, says, like as a challenge, We are the Boy Scouts of America. The one to his left says, Pack two, two, two. He is a kid in a baseball cap and zoo animal backpack that was a leash at one point. Pack two, 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 says Eric. He pinches the kid. The zookeeper knows we're something to avoid, but asks us, Would you like to touch the spider? "'You hand fuck dead spider all you want, sir,' I say. "'The Boy Scouts look at their hands and stare into the spider. "'It is as if, for the first time, they are afraid of their own hands. "'They are the kind of dead scum that grow up and have kids of their own. "'They are the kind of shit of the earth that look up to their fathers, do their fathers proud, read books, and grow up to be their fathers. "'We look hard and long into our futures. "'We are only concerned with the animal kingdom. "'It is a massive pile of shit.' Eric hates anything larger than a human being. We call him the whale. We will bring him to what he hates. But there are many things in the zoo. Eric the whale wants to move on. Eric hates elephants. His hate is strong and old like elephants. You can see it in his body, getting close to them. His body gets like it's suddenly infected. When we get to the elephants, Eric freezes. His hate becomes as still and as pure as a desert wind. He cannot move if he's got his eyes on an elephant. We buy two strawberry milkshakes and climb onto an observation deck. The enclosure is very high and very large. The elephants sweep bits of the ground into their mouths, but otherwise stand as still as tables. We milkshake the elephants. We have destroyed the elephants in the eyes of the people. Now they are nothing. They are pink and filthy. A kid with a lion backpack that still is a leash pushes his painted face up against the glass, his mom holding the leash, we're going to throw him into the lion pit. Wow, I say. So cool. Mikey says, lions are the best. Eric leans into the safety railing and jumps up and down. Roar already, he says. The kid's mom smiles at us. She is on the phone. Three little boys, she says. They like the lions too. Everybody likes the lions. Mikey gives me his knife. I get behind the little fuck and I cut the leash off his backpack. We go to see the dumbest animal of any zoo. The sun bear. I hate the sun bear most of all. The sun bear thinks it's everyone's little brother. The idiot sun bear lumbers over. I beat the glass and remind it that it's too dumb to kill itself. It yawns and sits behind the glass. I hate the animal population because it continues. It survives. It grows. And it does not know how stupid it looks. The sun bear, king of assholes, presses its paw on the glass against my hand. Its eyes widen, then it rolls out its 10-inch tongue.
0: This concludes Episode 6, Quadrupedal Mammals, Which Are Not Cats. The final episode of our special event celebrating the release of our 11th issue of Deep Overstock, Animals. We'll be back next week with our regular programming featuring author, Desmond Everest Fuller, reading and discussing Okay?" by Kevin Sampsell with me, your host, Michael Santiago. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Our theme music is the song Shibuya by Bad Snacks. Don't forget to submit for our next issue, Future, before May 31st, and visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines. Joining me in discussion today are Deep Overstock's editors-in-chief, Mickey Collins and Robert Eversman, to discuss seven stories on quadrupedal animals, which are not cats. So, welcome to the show, guys. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So, considering this is focused on quadrupeds and not cats, which out of these seven pieces stood out the most to you? So, Mickey, I'll let you answer that one first.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, again, an episode with a lot of great pieces. Um, It's hard to pick, like, one standout piece, but I think the one that, like, maybe sticks with me the most is the uh, Arnold B cab drivers, the we hate animals club uh, just because, well, a lot of the other pieces are very, you know, uh, Oh, animals are great. Or like, here's like some great things about animals. This
4: one seems very anti animal, which is a very uh, brave choice in a journal. That's all about animals. And uh, I really just, uh, this piece, I don't know, it just it made me angry because I really wanted these, like, bullies who are picking on all these animals at the zoo to get their comeuppance, you know, um, and they didn't. They keep taking it out on the animal kingdom, and the animal kingdom just smiles back.
0: Very interesting. You were expecting the whole time for these these bullies to receive penance, but didn't quite get it. So, Bobby, what what about you? <laughs>
4: They're all very surprising. They all have a nice surprise except for Lynette's piece and Desiree's piece, which are just completely affirming. They're so well grounded and they make you feel so good, those two pieces. And the rest are all, they kind of flip you on your head. So it's a nice mix of like being flipped on your head, being made a little bit uncomfortable. And then to have these other two pieces to be like, yes, we have a strong bond. The Desiree Ducharme piece is just an absolutely gorgeous tale of uh, bonding with your pet, with your dog, and um, going through changes in life, and then you know affirming affirming that bond. I just want to read one quote, basically how she how she closes it, sorry closes it. Working on my speech therapy slowly. So here's here's how she closes it. She came into that she's talking about her dog. She came into my life like the evening tide, slowly and inevitably. She shaped my heart. I was in the waves with tea. I didn't realize it was time to leave until all our stuff was wet. I wasn't mad. You can't be mad at the tide any more than you can hold a grudge with the sun for setting. The tide was in. Your stuff was wet. The sun has set. This is Kenya. Life is forever better. Kenya is her dog. You don't think about the tide receding. You don't consider the tide may never come in again. You just become accustomed to the musty smell of wet dog and the sound of contented sighs from the foot of your bed. You cannot plan a rescue, but if you're lucky, you find Uh, you are a part of one. I really like that piece. Um, it's, it just, it feels good. And so, so, I want to talk about the others too, because they, they flip you on your head. They make you feel really uncomfortable. Like the Arnold B. Cab Driver one, just makes you lose total faith in, in everything except for animals. I guess actually it reminds you that animals are nice, but everyone's an asshole yeah. except for the sun bear. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think Lynette's piece was, was the really quintessential surprise. She does another piece that's the, the one about the foxes early evening. And it's very different because it's just a nice surprise. Um, And it reminds me of the Michael Baldwin piece we talked about a few weeks ago, about just a nice snapshot of animals. And the the poem is like this, quote, the calm orb slides down its nightly path, pulls the silken imaginary curtain over imaginary time, while fox babies feast beside their sleeping mother. It's just a nice calm picture of fox babies and a mother. so that's another nice affirming one, like Desiree's piece, and then two other surprises that I want to talk about. Three, sorry, three other surprises I want to talk about. Um, the, the Michael Goldstein piece, the bone, is really interesting. We've talked a little bit about um, pieces about uh, the human pers- from the human perspective, you know, towards animals. We've talked about from the animals' perspective, and in this piece, the whole time we're thinking, okay, we're kind of. Um, from the dog's perspective. Oh no, we're kind of from the human's perspective. And then suddenly the narrator actually identifies with the bone being tossed and retrieved, which I thought was interesting. So that's a totally different perspective than we've seen. It's the it's the, the objects of the animal. I thought it was nice. The another surprise that I really liked is the Yuan Changming piece, the Gong Shi Fatsai, which is almost like setting up sayings or idioms you know but then disrupting the idiom i thought it was very interesting because take for instance this line where it says the higher a monkey climbs you know now now we're thinking we're going to get something profound it says the higher a monkey climbs the more he shows his behind great line same thing with the rooster (laughs) rooster today feather duster tomorrow so it's like you're setting up um, a classic idiom and then a great punchline, right there I really like I really like those little surprises, each one. Um, and then the ultimate surpriser uh, is always Jonathan Van Bell. And then this meow piece, which is actually about a fox, seems like it's going to be about a cat. Um, it's amazing. It's every line is a really clear, vivid image, and it it reminds me of the the idea uh, of the neo gothic, and particularly of this um, author. Uh, this uh, I think seven, 18th century author I think his name's um, Horace Walpole and he wrote the first basically what becomes the Gothic novel but he had this this castle that he restored called Strawberry Hill basically he was taking all of these disparate a- objects and kind of creating a, a cabinet of curiosities in his house so he was living in a cabinet of curiosities yeah so it's like you it's like you're walking into like a, a cabaret or a masked ball but you're alone, and there's no guests. It's just all of these objects that are masked, and you're you're kind of in this this weird, opulent, um, object paradise. I thought it was. I thought um, Jonathan's piece is really interesting. So I, I want to read a couple lines where it's like um, I'll just pick them randomly. Basically, foxes off waltzing, fiddling, gobbling sponge cake, frosted dove, duck breast, and then here's another one. I, you, Rossini, Mozart, Offenbach in rabbit fur, fragranced in reindeer antlers, bucking, hamming, belly dancing, from akupoko to wulumulu. And it's just like weird hedonistic elements, beautiful, amazing object no one has ever seen before. And Jonathan has arranged them in this strawberry hill-like house. So you can wander into his poem, turn a corner and see dripping drum and galloping gulp and ultraviolet mouth. And then you can turn another corner and see with honeyed, thyrus whip off the monkish faster i thought that one's great a tatat blasty quake and away the drainer violator diminisher criticaster
0: plus i think it's just fun to read full moon of feeding jammy scoops slop-eared hiccups and chicken lipstick of chicky juice our fangs splash it fizzy dizzy demi <laughs> sec up and down it's it's quite fun you get a lot of
4: mouth fun it's like as fun to just say these things as to picture them which is a huge achievement actually it's as fun to walk into the uh the manor full of all of these objects as it is to close your eyes and just let the objects kind of spill out of your mouth you can feel them buzzing in your mouth in duet of bodies mixed up and off avalandica gratia plena. the hounds are hot dripping drum and gallery read that one but it's amazing oh wait sorry this image is great um where is it where did it go um oh pollen please and every climate tears of rose stuffed swans pinatas of chocolate covered bluebird hearts that's great
0: once again thank you guys for coming on to the show thank you bobby and thank you mickey